Um, that little self-talk matters a lot. Up and down, I think, is kind of a really stupid thing. You're kind of already telling yourself you're not going to chip in. There's no rules! Shoot a lower score. There's one rule! Welcome back to the back porch of Franklin Bridge for another Wednesday night. Um, wow, okay, so we missed last week because of the grand unveiling of our new putting green. Yep, 15,000 square feet, John. Unbelievable. Awesome. And I mean, like, if you don't need, if you need another, uh, you know, excuse to come out here and, and work on your game, I mean, there's not any better place to do it. No. Especially the amount of, like, undulation and the, the, the way that it was built. I mean, it is just, yeah, me and Princess were out here hitting a four-foot putt, little tickler that... You know, you either had to, yeah. it was going to be gone down that, down one of the hills. Uh, anyway, good. We're getting off topic here. But, Scott, we have a guest tonight. This is going to be our last guest here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge. We might have one inside for coming weeks. Yeah, but we'll, we'll have to move it inside. We're in the 70s today, so this is our last chance to be outside. So, so we'll without, move it in, yeah. without giving away his name. I know, i got to work on this, right? We're practicing our intros here so, while we introduce our guest. Uh, so uh, with me, uh, with us, is associate head coach of the Duke women's uh, golf program, um, formerly assistant coach uh, to the women's program and the men's program. Is that correct? Uh, yes, and then is. he also was my head coach at Ohio Wesleyan. Uh, how many years were you there? Twelve. Twelve years at Ohio Wesleyan. Um, so I have, so we have John Whithouse, yes. uh, is with us. Uh, he endorsed my first book. I haven't sent him book two yet, but, um, excited about sharing that information, but high level golf. You also run elite level golf is a pro, um, the school that you run as well. Yes. Uh, so John, if you'll, if you'll go ahead and share with us uh, a little, your background, I know I just shared it here with everybody, but, um, how you got to where you are? Well, um, just grew up falling in love with the game in Finley, Ohio, and uh, that eventually led me to playing golf at Ohio Wesleyan. After that, after I graduated, I went into uh, my parents' business for a couple of years, but then as I had the, pre the privilege of playing for uh, Dr. Richard Gordon, who was a uh, the coach at Ohio Wesleyan for 39 years, and when he retired, I was fortunate enough to be able to step in and guide that program for 12 years. Then I moved down to uh, Durham and joined our men's program for three years. Then had a little bit of a gap where I spent time um, caddying and, and traveling around, mainly on the European tour. Got to learn a lot inside the ropes and, and how some of the nitty-gritty stuff of how professionals deal with things and then uh, I was fortunate enough to, to join the women's golf program here at Duke and, and Dan Brooks who's the the winningest coach in women's college golf and just helping coach Brooks move along and continue what he does. Coach I feel like that uh that experience that you have especially inside the ropes is something that's invaluable to college players right because i feel like a lot of people um and i am talking about scott here will teach the golf swing right but it's another thing especially when you're coaching at a big program to be able to say all right 
this is how we this is how the professionals walk their way around the course and scott definitely knows how to do that but from somebody who is caddied on the european tour and and seeing courses that are uh for some of us beyond our wildest dreams can you talk about that experience and what that's taught you and how uh that's possibly incorporated in your coaching yeah so it's definitely helped me with some different perspectives and um on the one hand, it has shown, you know, first up close and personal, the golf aspect is, isn't actually that much different than the high level um, collegiate golf aspect, but the managing your life and managing the business. So you're your own CEO of a group. You have caddies and agents and parents and uh, strength and condition. You have a lot going on. Um, to, that you have to learn how to manage. So when it is time to actually work on your game or compete, your mind is actually there. Um, that is a part that is significantly different from leaving the college level to the pro level. So, and it's very, very hard to keep yourself on track as you make that transition. I think one of the things that's fascinating to me is not just that it's the, you know, Dan Brooks is the winningest women's, co you know, golf coach, but it's at Duke University, which the academic requirements there are off the charts. I mean, I had a pretty heavy academic load as an econ math major, and, like, it pales in comparison to the level of difficulty of what's there at Duke. Um, so, like, can you talk about, like, how you manage that? Like, to me, that's impressive to win. I think it's seven national titles in the last 23 years. Is that correct? And also right. be able to that maintain the grades to, to play there. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it basically, you know, I guess if you want to simplify it, it's, you need, it's players need to become really good at compartmentalizing their life. So, whatever aspect they're dealing with, they're fully into that. So it's not a little bit of working on their game and a little bit of biology in their mind, like getting correct that it's fully a biology class or it's fully working on bunker shots and not blending it together. And when those lines get blurred, it's very easy to feel overwhelmed and feel like you're not accomplishing everything you want to accomplish. When you can keep things compartmentalized, you can, uh, achieve some things, finish some things off, kind of check things off your list and feel like you're making progress. And then it becomes very doable. And as that becomes a habit, it actually feeds into playing better golf. Um, it's easier to handle pressure and spotlight and media and some other things if you're already really good at compartmentalizing. So it's a tough learning curve, but once you get rolling with it, it actually, I believe it helps us play better. Well, one, one of the turning points um, for me, you know, obviously I don't remember everything from my college experience, but there are, you know, moments that stand out. Um, you know, I know you've believed in creating those opportunities for us as players to learn, you know, and you never know when somebody's going to catch something. But one of them was he brought um, Jay Martin, who was – he's still the men's soccer coach there, isn't he? Um, that is correct, yeah. And so he's the winningest soccer coach, coach in – all of soccer everywhere, um, I believe, including professional soccer. If that's not, if I'm not mistaken, but he Duke, brought Duke he brought has the best coaches, man. I uh, know, but this is Coach Ohio K too. I this mean, is Ohio ooh. Wesleyan. So back at Ohio Wesleyan, oh. he brought 
He brought that's big. Jay Martin in, and Jay talked about this idea of the 24 hours and kind of broke that down. Um, can you do a quick like overview of that? And that was that was important for me, and I've had to learn how to do that. Yeah, well, it's basically just being very intentional and purposeful with with each of your hours. So, um, you know, deciding how many hours you're going to sleep, how many hours you're going to work out, how many hours you'll be in class, just literally just making very clear, solid decisions with a purpose and then sticking to it. So, um, you know, it's kind of like if you don't, in many parts of golf and probably in life, if you're not able to get a have clarity with the plan, it's nearly impossible to commit to it. And what Coach Martin would have kind of his message was basically driving on this idea of get extraordinarily good clarity on how you're going to use every hour. And then it's easy to commit to it, make it a habit and use your time well. Yeah. No, I it's also a big a big deal to know it helps you to know when you're finished. So hmm. you know as a lot of great golfers are sort of perfectionists and just will, if you don't know when to stop, you might hit 500 putts when 50 putts was fine. Like, like if you have that commitment and clarity of plan, you know when your work is done so you can move on. It's hard to like in professions where there's not necessarily like a nine to five, right? Like it could be coaching, yeah. it could be entrepreneurship, it could be uh, I don't know, real estate too. It's like you can't have off without on and vice versa as well. And so I think uh, you hit the you hit the nail on the head when you say you, like you have to be able to know when to stop or else you're not going to be able to perform when you're supposed to be on. And sometimes that can be detrimental yeah. to your progress overall. So I think that's a great point to hammer home. Yeah, we had we were lucky to have the team that we had at Ohio Wesleyan and I never started. It was never in the starting five, but to watch – at moments when guys were struggling with either stuff in life or like their academic load was so overwhelming said, Hey, I'm going to pull from this tournament. And, you know, obviously got the approval of John and the other players, but I'm not going to be present. And so there's no way I'm going to be able to give my best. Um, and so to have that trust amongst our teammates, I think was really big and just the idea and to have John's support to do that, um, yeah. was really big. So, one of the things that's really interesting to me and reminded me a lot about how you coached, John, was um, this idea of making your girls as independent as possible. After you won the last national title, I remember watching that interview with Dan Brooks, and I went, sounds very much like what we did. Um, and I guess the question is, like, how do you do that in a culture that's so overwhelming, like do it for them and not let them do it for themselves? And you got to coach, but you – can't do everything and you obviously you're having a lot of success right now too with a lot of them on the LPGA tour and Symmetra tour and such so how do you how do you do that I guess without giving away your secret sauce <laughs> well that's fine it's uh well it's, it's just a reminder to myself and and I know coach Brooks remind you know kind, kind of checks himself here and there as well and keep keep judging ourselves on that standard. Are we making, helping our players develop habits that they can use without us? Like, you know, if we just did something that makes them more dependent on me or on coach Brooks, then we're, we're on the wrong track as a, as a coach. Um, you know, one illustration that might, or, you know, a way to think about it is all the different parts of 
a golfer's life or a high level golfer's life. Um, whether that's just, you know, putting bunker shots, pitching, or whether that's travel management and fitness and nutrition, but each part, um, we need to train the train everybody to build a fortress around the part that they are already great at. So we're at a level that if we're doing our recruiting like correctly, there's a whole bunch of areas in their life and in their golf that they're already great at. And part of our job is to teach them how to build this fortress around it to keep voices out, keep things out and keep doing what you're great at. And at the same time, point out like, you know, while these three areas you're on great track, keep doing what you're doing, but this one area over here is that you can get way better at that if you let me in your fortress, you know. If you can visualize that as a, you know, a full walled, you know, war fortress and there's one gate and they have to be very selective on who they let in that one gate to help them shape things. Um, the better they get, the more people want to get in there. And it's very easy to get off track. Coach, is there anything in what you just said that an amateur can apply to their game as well? You know, talking about that fortress, I think a lot of amateurs will sometimes uh, get upset over shots that they, you know, may or may, or may not know how to hit or, uh, you know, they kind of have a hit a, a, a snowball as far as uh, of a couple bad shots in a row. Is there anything uh, from what you just said that could cater to an amateur? And if so, what would you tell that person? Well, I would say... I guess this is maybe a self-awareness thing, and I know Scott hits on it in, in his books and in his teaching, but um, to have enough self-awareness and uh, and at least somebody trusted that you can chat with here and there to know when, it, for your level of play, you know, let's just say a 15 handicapper, for that level of play, to know which areas of your game are solid enough for right now and build, start building that fortress and don't let the next golf digest tweet change anything in that fortress builds it's confidence so yeah to like take something off the golf channel and mess up the thing <laughs> you're already good at totally well and i i found getting to coach some very high level players myself and being around hank coaching some tour players and like the better the players get it almost seems like they get more information and there's especially if there's something that's posted on social about them. And then if you just look at the feed, you've got everybody and their mother's brother's sister's husband has an opinion about their golf swing or about how they're yeah. managing their life. And it's just, there's, um, I know there's a lot of talk about this idea of um, mental health right now. I think a lot of it's more about compartmentalizing your time and who gets a say and who doesn't. You're letting everybody have a say. And so you completely lose who you are and you become a yes man or a yes woman to every single shiny thing that shows up or opinion that's negative or like I, one of the things I try and get my players to do is to really who's in your inner circle. Like those are the only people that get any voice. And it seems like at Duke, you guys do a very good job. I'm sure not just with the women's program, but the men as well. Like this is, this is us and nobody else gets in here. Yes, I think we do. Coach Brooks is, does a tremendous job with that, um, kind of in our own bubble. I know bubble's a different word now with COVID, but we've had this, our own bubble that we've been very, very protective about of who gets into that bubble. Um, and then one of the, the things I praise our players the most about 
is when they're in a groove where they're really in their own world when it's time to train, when it's time to compete. It's not in, a, you know, not so much of a team. It's like five people in their own world for the next six hours or eight hours or whatever it is. And then that compartmental compartment of the day is over and then it's a, a group and a team going to dinner, having fun and being young people and then shutting that compartment down and being back in your own world. And that sort of rhythm back and forth is, is when some really cool side effects happen on scoreboards and trophies and things like that. Coach, can you, uh, we have a lot of juniors as well that listen to this podcast as well. Can you talk to them as far as like, you talked about keeping that bubble super exclusive, right? Um, Can you talk about what you look for, uh, if you can talk about it, in the scouting process about um, not just necessarily about how someone plays, but how somebody acts on the course as well and and what you're looking for is from a a team cohesiveness standpoint? Well, yes. um, Obviously, the the physical and the scoring and everything is important. Um, But I think of it as, you know, like, Physics isn't contagious, but mentalities are very contagious. So if we get people that have great physics in their golf swing, that's great. That's not the next person, you know, the other teammate is that their physics isn't going to get any better or worse. But so in my mind, we kind of get the pool of players, potential players together based on physics, scores, leaderboard, and then get try to figure out the mentalities and the ones that are positively contagious instead of negatively contagious. Cause it's a, if we do, if each of our players is doing what we want to do, we will get to a, we'll be in the spotlight and the spotlight, in my opinion, there's sort of three different types of golf. Um, and you know, like I believe as Bobby Jones used to say, or had a quote about recreational golf and competitive golf are so different they both shouldn't be called golf. Well, I think there's like a third level of there's recreational golf, there's competitive golf, and then there's like big time spotlight, whatever that is for you. State your high school state championship feels like the biggest spotlight spotlight you've been in, and then some conference, the ACC championship is a huge spotlight, and you keep moving up, and then. For say, for example, Leona McGuire and Celine Boudier, the Solheim Cup is a bigger spotlight than they've had before. And um, I believe we're always trying to train things for the next biggest spotlight. Like there's, in in our sort of world, or a, a junior with a lot of ambition, you know, nobody kind of cares what you shoot on a random Tuesday. And then there'll be a point where people kind of care what you shoot in a high school match. But the things that are really will will matter is whether or not you can make a par when your hands are shaking and your heart's pounding and whatever that spotlight to you is, you can still perform. Um, And just kind of always having that on our mind of that's what we're trying to get to. So if you achieve what we're, if you get to start to achieve what you want, it'll always take you to another level of spotlight where you got to figure out how to achieve it again with different feelings and different levels of adrenaline and things. Love that. Thank you. Well, that kind of ties into one of the last things I wanted to bring up on this section, and then we'll do a Q&A after this, John, but is um, 
we had, we had mental success files was, was really big and reiterated over and over again. And, um, I didn't do a number of them very well at, at times, <laughs> but stupid college kid. Right. Um, but one of the ones that stood out to me was in branch Ricky arena. We were sitting down kind of reviewing, um, one of the, one of the seasons and we had done an eval on kind of your, your mental state. And I had one of the worst negative self talks on the team, which most of my students who know me are like, that's not you at all. Like you're like Mr. Positive all the time and pushing and encouraging, but that was a turning point for me. And it's a time I reflect back on a lot that, that negative self talk is it's hard to get out of like, because it feels like you're trying to make yourself better when you do it, but it's actually perpetuating the cycle that you're in anyway. So if you wouldn't mind sharing kind of maybe that first and then maybe one or two or three of the mental success files, I'm assuming you still use some of those. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, um, you know, the, the self-talk thing is so important. I mean, even if you don't quite realize it as you're going along, it actually is. And, um, and I think maybe I'm more of a stickler about it now than I was when Scott was a young pup many years ago, but even down to little things, you know, like the common term, like if you're going to slide your hands down the shaft, a lot of people call that choking down, which I think is a kind of terrible if you're trying to be a good player. Like when it matters most, your heart's pounding, you need to hit some sort of less than full shot and you're going to tell yourself the word choke. I don't think that makes much sense. Um, that little self-talk matters a lot for, there's a whole bunch of them that um, kind of common things, you know, up and down, I think is kind of a really stupid thing. You're kind of already telling yourself you're not going to chip in because there's right in the phrase, it's about the next shot. You're, um, so those are some little bit funny examples, but there's also the ones about, you know, me just, I'm just an idiot because I just hooked it into the pond on the left or whatever. They all matter a lot. And I think most of them stem from either just general habits of the golf world or when a player um, has got their mind on things that are way bigger than the hole that they're playing. You know, I, one thing I think about a lot and preach a lot is the way golf is set up, it's pretty big, complex thing to come up with a score of 77, for example. Um, you know, like one, eight, one game of 77 shots is way more complex than 18 separate games where you're trying to make a four on each one. Um, so I think when you can, however your mind works, but breaking things down into smaller and smaller parts makes it a little harder to be negative to yourself. And when you are negative to yourself, it stands out a lot like you can kind of almost instantly realize man that was what i just said was kind of in my head was stupid you know it's got nothing to do with the last hole or the next hole uh, and also to not it's not an indictment when weird things come into your mind you know there are a lot of weird and unproductive thoughts will come into your mind and the more you get in the spotlight the more random stuff will pop into your mind and I think most players think that's a sign of weakness or a failure when that happens. 
So I believe, I'm a huge believer of like a mental success file that back in the day was about thought replacement and talking about training and thought replacement and awareness that when the weird thing comes in your mind about, you know, chunking this shot or you happen to notice, man, there's a lot of people up there by the green watching or the other random stuff where a burrito or ice cream cone pops into your head for no reason at all. Just stuff happens and that's okay. Just to be having awareness and to train yourself to put something else in there instead of that thought. Yeah, so I remember one of the moments. Um, I don't remember who it was on our team. You probably remember it was on number eight at Oak Haven. I don't know if it was one of the Cairo boys or, or what, uh, or Mart. Was it Kyle? It was like to the left, to the left, everything you own in the box to the left. A uh, little Beyonce, like. That was a whole, like, you couldn't go right. Like, you just couldn't go right there. Instead of saying, don't go right, right. don't go right, it, he came up like, it's weird, but that was his thought replacement, and he just kept, we could hear him whisper it out loud at times to himself. Yeah. So I, that was one of my favorite ones. Like, you can't stop thoughts from coming in, at least initially. Like, you get better at it, and you can stay more in tune, but they, you're right, they just come out of nowhere. You're, you're up yes. there, you're over a putt, and you go... I mean, I got to pick up the kids later. Wait, what? What? Where'd that come right. from? And so it's learning the discipline of having to back off a lot early when you're learning to do this is very common. And I think it's great to try and have that discipline on the driving range first. But, mm -hmm. and as you get on the golf course, you get better at not having to back off because when you do step into that space, you're able to yes. stay focused. Also, what yes, I've, uh, oh, sorry. Ideally, the thought replacement is, um, would be productive, like, I don't know, better weight shift or, or some productive thing, but it, it, as long as it's something else, it's progress. So even if it's a Beyonce song or, or a cat or a dog or anything different than the weird unproductive thing is helpful. And ideally you can train yourself that it's actually like a good swing cup pot or a, an important thing for your physics or your game, hopefully. But again, anything is better than wherever your mind is initially off to. I think too, uh, I can speak for some amateurs here is that, um, when those thoughts come into our head, we tend to suppress them, suppress them so much. Mm -hmm. So, to where that's all you can end up thinking about, even if you're trying to suppress. And I mean, this is exactly going into what we're talking about, but I've learned at least in my journey that it's, it's better for me to accept that that thought is in my head, acknowledge it and then replace it with something so that it won't come back up. And so I was wondering if, uh, if you thought that was a decent strategy to go about, but I've, uh, I figured that that is at least worked because it, then it'll pop up in my head again throughout the whole, whole round. And I have to at yeah. least acknowledge it first. I think that's a great strategy because as you described that, it comes to my mind that things that we suppress are usually things we're ashamed of or things that we think we're guilty of or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with having the weird thoughts. And that's a big step to get over. Um, so I think that's a good way that you say it to acknowledge it and then replace it. So sidebar, do y'all still do the uh, in the van or on the trip or in the road that see who can name the song the fastest because nobody's ever been faster than John at naming songs from all genres. Um, 
<laughs> it doesn't happen as much these days, but I'm still useful. I'm still <laughs> probably competitive, even though it's been a long time since, you know, there's a lot of BTS and things like that going on now that I'm not aware of, but um, I'm still pretty good at that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of random weird Scott, thoughts. Scott, have you have you suppressed the fact that you came to a golf course in the Ohio Wesleyan mascot? Costume at one point. Yes, I uh, I've done that more than once. Yes, I dressed up as a battling bishop and went to uh, multiple events dressed as such. I even went to uh, one of our out of town events. I think it was in Zanesville, um, dressed as one. And they're like, "What is that?" It's kind of fun just to stand there. You look kind of ominous at six yes, foot six. <laughs> That's right. So um, I think we're gonna wrap it up there. And then, John, I may use the other link because I have a couple people listening in, one of my college girls and one of my senior tour players um, listening in, and they may ask a question on this Q&A. So uh, if we'll hop off of this one and we'll jump on the other one uh, and go from there. So, Great. Thank you so much. Yep. Coach, thanks for being here. Is there anything you would uh, uh, like to plug for this coming season, anything exciting coming up on your end? Just looking forward to Scott's new book. There you go. And go Blue Devils, am I right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. Um, as always, you can see what Scott has going on on Instagram. On his Instagram, that's shassigolf, two S's, two E's. We have uh, Scott's book uh, coming out very soon, Golf Decoded, which is going to be, uh, I think, the, is the GoFundMe link still up on uh, your Instagram? There you go. It closes in a few days, so I'm going to put this one out uh, ASAP so that you guys can go ahead and pre-order that book. And if not, make sure to DM Scott to see when and where you might be able to pick up the next copy that's available. So awesome Christmas gift, awesome uh, thing for you to be able to read as well. Um, there's actually QR codes in the book, so it's more than just a book. You can actually take those QR codes and watch a video that Scott has curated on the topic that's in the, in the, uh, in the book. So, super interesting book um, that's honestly more than a book. It's kind of a cheat code. So, if you guys want to go pick that up, uh, go ahead and DM Scott on Instagram at golf or go uh, see if the GoFundMe is still in his bio. So, um, from us here on the back porch of Franklin Bridge, we're going to go ahead and toss it over to part two uh, with Coach, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thanks, y'all, for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. As always, you can find us anywhere that you guys are. So uh, make sure to check out Scott on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the above. His Instagram is at Golf. That's two S's and two E's. So make sure to go and check out everything that he's got going on over on his Instagram page. Uh, as well as make sure you follow Franklin Bridge. Uh, Franklin Bridge puts out some great things as well, and we want to make sure that we support them because they support us. So as always... Feel free to come by the back porch of the Persimmon Pub at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays to come and listen to us talk golf. So book a late afternoon round of golf, and then afterwards, come on inside, get some food, some drinks. Uh, we got some specials going on. We had some $5 flatbread pizzas. We had some amazing chicken tacos, as well as drink specials going on all night long. So make sure to support the Persimmon Pub as well when you come out. We would love to see you guys. We do one episode and then a live Q&A and then another episode. So from 7 to 9 on Wednesdays, we hope to see you soon, and we'll see you on the next one. Peace.